0: Okay, I want to read um, now. We're going to be looking uh, at just one verse in Colossians chapter one. So I'm going to, um, but I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, Colossians chapter one and uh, verses 24 to 27. Paul says, "Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body." which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Um, Sarah and I had a look round the Anglican church in Somerton this week, um, and I was looking at a crucifix on the wall, so Christ nailed to a cross dying. And just looking at it brought home to me again uh, just how difficult it is for our modern Western minds to come to terms with seeing our God on a cross. Christ's sufferings jars against all the ideas of of strength and power and success and glory that our culture has taught us, where which look nothing like betrayal, uh, loss, suffering, and dying on a cross as a victim. And yet the Bible says the cross is Christ's glory, and that the cross is where Christians find new meaning. Uh, Galatians six: May I never boast in anything except the cross of Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 says that the, although the cross may seem weak and foolish to the world around us, in reality it is the power and the wisdom of God. So you know, we may talk as Christians about the cross, we may hang depictions of the cross on our walls, but do we then naturally end up turning around and following other ideas of power that we find more appealing? Now, one way we might sort of avoid that uncomfortable challenge of the cross is to say, oh, yeah, but Jesus rose again, and the power of Christ is his risen glory, and I can relate to that. But the New Testament refuses to let us leap so easily over the cross, as if, um, you know, as if the resurrection kind of just means it can all be forgotten, Uh, The New Testament keeps highlighting the cross again and again. And then we have passages like this one in Colossians 1 and verse 24, where the Apostle Paul writes to the Christian community living in Colossae, and he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still uh, lacking or left over or what remains of Christ's afflictions. So the Apostle Paul seems to think that the pattern and principle of Jesus' suffering actually, in some sense, carries on into the life of his followers, uh, Paul's own life being, being an example of that. So Jesus' sufferings are not tepexed out by the resurrection, as important as the resurrection is. In some sense, the sufferings continue into the life of the church. Now, Jesus himself said, we've got to take up our cross and follow him. He said the one actually who wants to just save his own life will end up losing it, but the one who loses his life for Jesus' sake will will find it. Now, it's important to notice at this point that Paul is not in this verse talking about all kinds of suffering. He's not just saying something that applies to every suffering we face. He is talking about a very particular type of suffering, and the key comes in the phrase uh, he uses, suffering for you. Okay, Now, literally, that means, in the Greek, suffering on your behalf, or for your sake. Now, if you've read the New Testament at all, that phrase, hopefully, will have the sound of Jesus about it, because that's also exactly how Jesus' sufferings are described. Jesus, the New Testament says, died for us, on our behalf, for our sake. So, Paul is not talking here, in this verse, about all types of suffering in the world, but specifically... The sufferings we experience on behalf of others, suffering for them in in the same kind of way that Jesus suffered for us. Now that helps us, I think, begin to understand that strange phrase he uses when he says what is left over uh, in the sufferings of Jesus. That can sound really strange to us as Christians because we're so used to the New Testament often saying Jesus' sufferings are complete, they are full. They are finished, they are sufficient, they're once for all. You don't, they don't need to carry on. And Hebrews, for example, the letters to the Hebrews, really majors on this. Um, now that's all extremely important, of course, to know that when we're thinking about our salvation. When it comes to our salvation, where we are with God, Jesus' sufferings are perfect and full and finished. It is finished, he said on the cross. Everything you need is done for you by Jesus already. Uh, So in that sense, nothing at all is lacking in Jesus' sufferings and death for us. But when Paul here describes his own suffering uh, in the language of the cross, on behalf of you, he says, Paul helps us understand, and think, what he's now thinking about here. He's talking about times when we suffer as a result of or in order to help others, and that reflects... Jesus and how he suffered to save us. When we experience something like that, as we help one another and we suffer as a result, what we're doing is a bit like Jesus' sufferings. It's, It's like those sufferings of Christ continue to be at work in his people and through his people. Now, I want to make a really important clarification at this point. This is not about letting yourself be abused Some Christians, tragically, have let themselves be repeatedly abused, sometimes over many years, perhaps, for example, by a partner, because they thought, maybe were even told, that it somehow is reflecting Jesus' sufferings to just let that happen to you. Now, I don't agree with that because of this. Jesus' sufferings were never just suffering for suffering's sake. Like some kind of asceticism, you know, as if there's something virtuous in just experiencing pain or being abused. That is not what Jesus came to us to save us, to rescue us. He came to the world for a reason which was all about saving the world, to do us good, to bring us life. To do that brought suffering with it, absolutely. Likewise here, Paul is not getting a reward out of suffering itself. As if, you know, it's like a badge of honor to get beaten up or something. No, he's talking about doing what Jesus did. Paul was going out of his way to bring good to people in Colossae by bringing Christ to them. Uh, But as he did that, Paul found, as he did so, he had to face some suffering along the way as he did it. And Paul is saying here he was was very willing to do that for their sake, uh, just as Christ did for the world. Now, and I wanted to mention this because that is very different to perpetual abuse. And I wouldn't want anyone to misunderstand what Paul is saying here as if it means, you know, just being made to suffer is the point in itself. Now, the point is, as we seek as Christians to bless others, bless the world, bring life and hope and restoration to people, we will sometimes, maybe you could say always in some sense, we will find it costly. For example, of our time, or of our energy, or of our money, or our emotions. Paul himself was suffering as he wrote this letter to the Colossians. And he had known a lot of suffering as a result of him bringing the good news of Jesus to the world. He had been beaten, slandered, mocked, shipwrecked, ridiculed. There were attempts made on his life. Uh, he says elsewhere, he says that he carried around, in that sense, in his body the scars of Jesus. Uh, and at this point, when he wrote this letter, it seems he was chained up as a criminal, awaiting trial. Uh, so, so as Paul went around doing the good things he did, it brought suffering. I tried to think of some examples, perhaps you know, because as is probably probably not that extreme as Paul's was, uh, but I tried to think of a few examples of how we might experience this Christ-like kind of suffering. So, for example, times when you've ended up suffering when you're just trying to do the right thing. That's a bit like Jesus on the cross. Times when you've helped someone and it's taken a lot out of you. It's been costly, it has been sacrificial. Times perhaps when you've helped someone and they've just thrown it back in your face. That's a bit like Jesus coming to the world and us crucifying him. Mm. Times when you've responded to evil with good. Times when you've put your pride to one side and you've been the one who's taken the risk of making the first step of reconciliation, even though that's been quite painful, perhaps. Times when you've been wronged, but you've decided to forgive and take that pain without retaliation, carrying the cross, a bit like Jesus did for us. Maybe times when you've stuck with someone, maybe a loved one, through their mess and recklessness and ingratitude and hostility, and it's not been until much later that they'd come and thanked you for never giving up on them. It was costly at the time, but you did it for their sake. That's like Jesus with us. Maybe times when you've sat in solidarity with those who suffer, not because you get any reward from it, but simply because you love them enough to care and wanted to share their burden and carry it for them. That's like Jesus, Galatians says, carry each other's burdens. In doing that, you fulfil the law of Christ. Times when perhaps you went without so that another could have. Times when you put the other first at your own expense. When we do those kinds of things, they have the sound of Jesus about them because we're doing the kind of thing Jesus did for us. And I think Paul wants us to know in this, you know, when he writes, that that's not something to be ashamed of when you do that. You are not an idiot for reflecting the love of Jesus. Society might say, you know, don't waste your time. What's the point if you might not get anything out of it? But Paul says, I rejoice in suffering for you because it's for your sake, he says. And then he adds this, for the sake of Christ's body, the church. Now, I think that introduces another element, another insight into how Paul sees things. First, he says, I'm suffering for you on your behalf. But he says that also means I'm suffering for Christ, Christ's body, uh, what that means is when, when Paul saw those people in Colossae, the town of Colossae, he saw Jesus in them. They might be Mary, John, Bill, Marjorie, or whoever else, but they are also, he says, Christ's body. Christ's body, of course, means the church, but it is not just a label. Okay, When the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, that's not like just, oh, that's a nice label. The church is Christ's body because Christ is in them. That's exactly what he'll say in verse 27, Christ in you. Now I wonder, when we look at others, each other here and others outside, do we see Christ in them? If we do, as Paul did, it will change how we relate to people and how we treat people, if we stopped and thought that Christ is within them. uh, It makes it far more challenging you know, Jesus didn't say this Christian stuff is easy, really challenging, but it will make the world and us a better place and better people. It will mean, for example, that when we talk about laying down our lives for Jesus, that will mean also laying down our lives for others because Christ is in them. The Old Testament said this in its own way. It said, to love God means to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are inseparable. Or as John would put it later in the New Testament, we can't say we love God if we don't love our brother and sister in Christ. Now, this, at this point, perhaps our minds, maybe some of you have already been thinking of the parable Jesus told in Matthew 25. Uh, the king in this parable, Jesus, says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. A stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick; you looked after me. I was imprisoned, and you and you came to see me and visit me. And the people in the parable say, "Lord, when did we when when did we see you hungry and feed you, and thirsty, give you something to drink, etc." And the king replies, "Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me." In other words, Christ is present in the hungry, the needy, the poor, the captive. Jesus is there in the unwelcomed stranger, the unclothed, the sick, the captives. So that, so much so that to feed and clothe and bless one of them is in a sense to feed and clothe and bless him. Throughout the Bible, the, the, the God is the God of the oppressed. He identifies with those in need and hears them. Whatever we do for the sake of of those who are the least in this world, we are also doing for Jesus because Jesus himself became the least of these on the cross. Now, Paul himself, who wrote this letter, he learned that himself in a really striking, completely life-changing way when he, met, he was met by the risen Jesus. Um, at that point, Paul was not a follower of Jesus. He, in fact, he was going around killing Christians but the risen Jesus met Paul and he said, why do you persecute me? He did not just say, why are you persecuting my Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? You know, one, one thing the cross shows us is that God is present with those who suffer. He suffers with us. And and now, and Paul now says that he's content to suffer for the sake of those in Colossae because it's for the sake of Christ, Christ's body. It's for the sake of what God is, God's new community, the church, the thing that God's building in this world where redemption happens. Paul says his life is so changed now that he's understood that when he suffers on behalf of others to bring them to Christ, he's doing it in another sense for Jesus. He used to persecute Christ in his people. He now blesses Christ in Christ's people. Now, there is always a sacrificial nature to things when we give ourselves for others. Um, and I don't mean that in a sort of, oh, aren't I good, You know, look at, look at all the work I do for charity, you know, um, aren't I sacrificial? What I mean is coming alongside others and helping them is to give of ourselves in one way or another, sometimes to a greater degree, sometimes lesser, but always to decide to come alongside and help someone. That's a decision. We're refusing to just live for ourselves, and we're deciding instead to give ourselves for the life of others. That's the way of Jesus, of course. And so Paul, and more importantly Jesus, says that that is something to rejoice in doing, because it reflects the grace of God. Paul says elsewhere, never tire of doing it. Don't tire of it. It's, It's what it's about, to follow Jesus. So what we as modern Westerners need to remember is we, we must not buy into the world's idea that life is just about getting what I want, pursuing my own individual happiness. My life, my happiness, my blessing is inherently tied up with the blessing and happiness and life of others. Because that's how God has made the world, I think. You know, That's why in Acts 20... We're told that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That really rolls off the tongue easily, doesn't it? But think about that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is about as unconsumerist, unindividualistic, ungreedy, and therefore as unlike what our culture often craves after as, as you can get. Blessing is not found in having everything I want, getting more and more for myself, Blessing is found in giving, in loving one another as we love ourselves. Is that costly sometimes? Of course it is. Was it costly for Jesus? Absolutely. He had to endure the cross. But he did that because he he knew it was for the life of the world. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we in our little ways as followers of Jesus, we must take up our cross when called upon And do likewise, which is to follow him. One thing the cross teaches us, teaches us a lot, but one thing is that helping others can sometimes be hard and costly and painful and draining. If we're going to follow the way of Jesus, there will be times when it is costly to do that because following one who died for us, by definition, means a life for us that is sacrificial too. But it is always worth it because it brings life to the world. Here's a few verses that we find elsewhere in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says there, we are hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus, but then he says, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. Uh, elsewhere, what's I can't remember the passage now. Elsewhere he said, it, it may be death for us, but it's life for you. You know, Paul understood that If he suffered on behalf of of others, it would bring life, and it was worth it for that. Uh, Romans 8, we read earlier, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, so that we may also share in his glory. Uh, Yes, of course, that means glory to come beyond this life, but I think also it means now. Mm. You know, we suffer with him because we're also sharing the glory of what that brings to the world. 1 Peter 4 verse 13, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, whether that be revealed through it now or revealed one day when we see him. As I looked at that depiction of, of Jesus nailed to a cross in that church last week, it reminded me that the church of Jesus Christ is called to be a sacrificial community. The church's calling is not to be the most impressive looking, the coolest, the most professional, the most wealthy, the most dominant force in the world, out-competing all others. And That's not the church's calling. There's nothing wrong, of course, with us doing things well. But that's not our glory. Our glory is not in how well we've done stuff or how good we look. The church's calling and the church's glory is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And one thing that will mean is that the church must be a sacrificial community for the sake of the world, giving ourselves in love to all, just like Jesus gave his own life for us all. I want to just close with these words, also written by Paul, they're found in Philippians 3, and I hope these are our prayers, this is our prayer as well. He wrote this, Whatever was gained to me in the past I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from how good I am, but the righteousness that is through faith in Christ, that comes from God through faith. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like he was in his death, and so somehow also attaining to the resurrection from the dead. May that be our prayer too. Amen.